Welcome to this podcast from the Environmental and Energy Law Program at Harvard Law School. Today, Joe Goffman, our Executive Director, will be talking with Cynthia Giles, former Assistant Administrator for EPA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance for the entire Obama presidency. As the head of enforcement, she focused on tough civil and criminal enforcement for violations that threatened communities and the environment and also innovations to achieve greater compliance and reduce pollution using advanced monitoring and information technologies. Cynthia and Joe will be talking about the Trump EPA's enforcement policies, including a recent initiative focusing on the oil and gas industry and the impact they have on air quality and public health. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Cynthia. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's focus today on EPA's enforcement and compliance policies and practices in general uh, and then shift that focus to the oil and gas sector initiative that the agency launched several months ago. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate your inviting me to have this uh, very important conversation. And, and you mentioned the, the oil and gas new owner audit program. Um, And I would say that one in particular is a great illustration of something that your program is drawing much-needed attention to, uh, how below-the-radar policy changes are pulling back important public health protections and undermining the rule of law. So, So I do think that one is a great illustration of something that is happening much more broadly uh, uh, across the agency, so is a useful one to focus on um, as an exemplar of, of many, many uh, similar type things that are happening there. So uh, just a quick word about um, what's uh, important to know about the oil and gas industry that, that helps inform uh, this discussion about enforcement. Um, one is that it's big. This, there's over a million active oil and gas wells in the United States, and that is growing. Uh, this industry is so big you can see it from space. Uh, and, and these wells, uh, over, well over a million of them, uh, are a large source of, of VOCs, which is pollution that contributes to ozone. So uh, ozone is a very well-known pollutant affecting public health in a very significant way. And these wells are really close to where people live. And ozone pollution is going up in many places with a lot of oil and gas development. So important to recognize it's really big and the pollution's going up. Um, the other thing, very relevant to know, is that there are lots of violations and unlawful air pollution from these oil and gas wells. Um, even in the policy that we're going to uh, that we're going to talk about here, the Trump EPA Enforcement Office admits that lots of violations. Um, so that's important context uh, to understand uh, how this policy that they've issued fits in and how sharp a turn this is away from the Obama EPA uh, decision to make a national enforcement uh, focus on oil and gas uh, well air pollution. You know, just to underline that we're not only talking about a large industry, but one that implicates very significant stakes for public health in terms of, of its air pollution footprint, if you will. Um, Absolutely. And it's getting worse. Why don't we start with, uh, why don't we do this in two steps? Why don't we start with sort of the, the baseline, which is um, what the level of compliance assurance and enforcement activity was during the Obama administration, uh, and then 
proceed to uh, what happened after the Obama administration left office. Okay, well, given the the large number of sources, well over a million active wells, and the growing uh, uh, investment in the oil and gas industry and new wells, and the serious public health problem that, that you're um, referencing, um, this had been a major area of enforcement focus uh, for the Obama EPA, of going out into the field and figuring out where these very significant issues were occurring, um, and taking large uh, enforcement cases when we found very, very serious violations um, to send a very clear message uh, to this industry that um, as domestic sources of energy are being developed, uh, we certainly expect that to be done responsibly and in compliance with the public health standards that are there to protect people. So a number of, of large enforcement actions had been brought that were illustrating the problems that we were seeing across the industry, uh, and this was a very deliberate um, and strategic uh, uh, approach on the part of the Obama EPA uh, to make sure that the folks in this industry knew that we were expecting them to meet their obligations. Um, um, and uh, just, just to be clear, the EPA was not, uh, taking this initiative on uh, just because it had an animus against the oil and gas industry. Um, rather, I assume we were taking the Willie Sutton approach um, in that um, uh, we looked at the oil and gas industry because that's where, A, the large inventory of emissions was and is, and that's where there were uh, that's where there was evidence of significant violations of uh, legal obligations to to control and reduce those emissions. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that EPA uh, had looked at in figuring out where to devote its enforcement um, uh, attention was where are the pollution problems significant. And what we were seeing it is in these areas of significant growing oil and gas development, we were seeing... Uh, increases in ozone levels, which is a dangerous pollutant from a public health perspective. And in some places, uh, those levels were going up quite significantly, including in the winter time, which is not normally when you see uh, big increases in ozone pollution. So it was the public health impact and the existence of widespread violations that were contributing uh, to that public health issue that caused us to focus on uh, this industry. When you did focus there, you you detected uh, high high enough levels of emissions to justify uh, enforcement actions. That's right. So one of the things that that was we observed in the field was a very widespread failure on the part of industry to design the pollution controls uh, in a way that would allow them to meet the standards. So the pollution control. Uh, equipment was under-designed, so uh, making it uh, nearly impossible for those facilities to meet uh, the required standards. Um, and um, there were uh, lots of uh, times when we observed things like, you know, just open hatches that were causing the pollution to just vent out into the air. Uh, to give you an illustration of how big these uh, violations were and, and how um, important they were for protecting public health, um, I, the three biggest cases um, that EPA brought uh, 
towards uh, the end of the uh, administration um, required their three company three different companies uh, required collectively that they had to spend over a hundred million dollars to remedy the problems and there were over eight million dollars in penalties um, it's not those dollars are not the the metric by which EPA judges whether it's doing a good job but what those dollars tell you is there were very serious problems here and the companies had systemically failed uh, to do the investment that was necessary to protect people and to comply with the law. How did did the companies respond? Did they resist? Did they uh, defend themselves, um, put a premium on defending themselves uh, at the expense of everything else? Or was there a more public health-friendly outcome, ultimately? Um, Companies varied uh, in their response. But I would say the the response was fairly typical of what we often see for these very serious violations is that some companies recognize, okay, yes, um, we have a problem, we're violating the law, it's a serious issue, we see the public health uh, concern, uh, and they come to the table and they work with EPA and the state frequently is also involved in these cases uh, with EPA. Um, to work on what's an innovative way to solve this problem that's cost-effective from the uh, industry perspective, does an adequate job of protecting the public, meeting the standards, and goes beyond that to, to make up for the fact that you've had years of these kinds of violations that, that were uh, troubling from public health point of view. Um, and some companies step to the plate uh, and they work with EPA uh, to find solutions uh, that will... Uh, re- involve compliance, reduce the pollution, uh, and, and will work as a long-term solution for the industry. So, so we certainly did see some companies approaching it in that more collaborative way once they recognized, uh, yes, that EPA had caught them violating and that they were going to be forced to do something about it if they didn't uh, agree to do something. Um, is, it, is it fair to say that the effort that the EPA invested in these enforcement actions resulted in significant reductions in air pollution between the time that the initiative was launched and the end of the uh, Obama administration. Absolutely. So so not only from the actual uh, companies that were defendants in enforcement actions where the pollution reductions were very significant, um, but also for the deterrent effect in the industry in general uh, as a result of the enforcement cases. So one of the things that EPA did, which EPA, um, you know, on the Obama team, uh, always tried hard to do, was to think about how can we not only deal with these particular violators in an enforcement case, but send a message across the industry so that people start doing a better job and that we get much more pollution reduction uh, than we could get just through enforcement cases one at a time. So EPA sent out what was called a compliance alert to the whole industry, everybody who does these oil and gas wells, and said, look, we've been out in the field, we've done inspections, uh, we've talked to these companies, this is what we found. We found a widespread violations, we found all this under-design of pollution control equipment, uh, you need to fix this. So you better get out there and and uh, address these problems that exist at your wells, um, you know, before we come knocking on your door. And that's how the uh, uh, a few large and important um, enforcement cases 
can spread the impact and, and public health protection beyond just the individual cases themselves. So enforcement is, is a, sounds like it's, that is to say, an enforcement action or uh, a, a select set of enforcement actions can prove to be a pretty significant leverage tool in Absolutely. changing behavior across, across a, Absolutely. A, a, a high polluting um, uh, industry. To what extent, as of 2016 or early 2017, was there still unfinished business in this in this sector? Very much so. So, as I as I've said, it's a huge industry. So there's well over a million active wells, uh, and there was a lot more that needed uh, to be done. The, the violations are still uh, very widespread, although I think uh, a dent was made in that through the enforcement cases um, that occurred. Um, and a lot, lot more needed to be done. So EPA was attempting to address that through some regulations, as well as other agencies trying to address that through uh, regulations about oil and gas activities on federal lands, um, and uh, doing a better job about requiring monitoring and requiring uh, better pollution control at these wells, because this was a known problem that was contributing to increases in ozone pollution. Uh, and it really needed national attention. So what happened next? And by next, I mean after uh, the Obama administration left office. So one thing that happened is there's been a big pullback on the rules um, that would have required the oil and gas companies to do a better job controlling and monitoring their pollution. But totally apart from that, for all the existing rules uh, that the companies were already obligated to be complying with. Um, what we've seen is a, a pullback from this being an area of national enforcement focus. Um, the, the EPA Enforcement Office has already announced that. Um, and then we've seen uh, this program uh, that we're going to talk a little bit about here today, which they call the Oil and Gas New Owner Audit Program, um, which uh, the, the stated purpose uh, for the proposed program um, is saying to the companies that buy oil and gas wells, hey, you can volunteer to enter into an agreement with EPA in which you promise to take a look uh, at compliance with air pollution standards and you fix the violations you find. So that sounds okay, right? That sounds uh, pretty yeah. good. Uh, but actually, no. It, it, uh, it does sound uh, okay. I mean, the, I, I can imagine um, that the argument on behalf of that approach would go something like this. Well, uh, the EPA brought a series of enforcement actions uh, in uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, in response, a number of companies recognized that they had a problem uh, and uh, proceeded to address the problem. Uh, the agency put out uh, compliance alerts uh, industry-wide. Now everybody in industry knows what each, each company and each operator has to do. And um, as the resolution of some of the enforcement cases demonstrated, the companies can be relied on to do what they need to do. I, I, can, uh, I haven't heard that argument being made, but knowing some of the principles uh, among current management at the agency... I, I can uh, hear them make that argument. 
Well, they make that argument, and and they make the argument that um, this policy encourages uh, uh, companies uh, to take a look when they buy another company or buy some wells to take a look at the compliance picture and, and to fix the problems that they find. So that sounds, um, superficially, that sounds like it's okay, um, but actually uh, the circumstances here, which we can talk about for a minute, the net effect, I think, is going to be less protection. So why is that? So there's, there's three really big problems uh, with what they're proposing. So here's the top line. It's part of a shift away from enforcement for oil and gas. And, and uh, for reasons that we have touched on, strong enforcement is an absolutely essential part of getting the pollution from these wells under control. Uh, and this policy means less enforcement. Uh, the second is it redirects EPA's focus to the companies that raise their hand and away from where it should be, which is on the companies that will never raise their hand and are likely to have the most pollution. And the third thing, uh, the third big problem with it is the approach that EPA has proposed puts way too much burden on EPA and not nearly enough on the oil and gas companies. So the net effect of those three factors um, is, as I think, a program that will result in less protection. And I can explain a little bit more about each of those and why, why that's the case. Sure. Go, go ahead. I think that would be helpful. So on the shift away from enforcement. So we've seen uh, at the Trump um, EPA a big decline in EPA enforcement overall. Uh, New York Times, many other outlets have have written in depth about that. It's particularly a problem in the oil and gas industry. Um, And here's why. As I described, what EPA enforcement people found when they went into the field is that the problems are rampant in oil and gas wells. The underdesigned equipment, uh, the hatches left open, so the pollution just released in there, lots, lots of other violations. The challenge is it's hard to find those problems, uh, and the companies themselves were not monitoring or tracking uh, most of the time. That's what the, some of these rules that have been pulled back were, were looking to fix. This problem is many, many multiples harder because there's more than a million wells. It is completely inconceivable to ensure compliance one well at a time. So that's why EPA's strategy under the Obama administration depended heavily on deterrence. You cannot be everywhere all the time with more than a million wells, so you got to persuade the companies that it's in their interest to do the right thing for their neighbors, for their shareholders, and just comply. It's it's the same theory that the police use uh, when they pull people over for speeding. Um, yes, okay, they stop that one speeder, uh, but more importantly, they remind everybody else, hey, slow down, uh, or, or you could be next. And that's an important function that these uh, enforcement cases have. And the Obama EPA, when, when uh, we found a serious violator, we insisted not only that they clean up their act for all the wells they have in the area, but on top of that, that they make up for the illegal pollution, pay a big fine that reflects the money they saved by violating, um, which sends a clear message to other companies. Uh, if you got a serious violation and we get you, 
uh, you're going to end up spending a lot more to fix the problem than you would have if you just did it right the first time. Uh, that's the whole theory of general deterrence, and the research shows that it works. Um, and this policy, is the, the new owner audit program, is a one-at-a-time strategy. You only get reductions from the companies you directly interact with. There's zero deterrence associated with it, uh, which is a hopeless strategy for a sector with way over a million sources. Uh, uh, under no theory does two plus two equal a million, uh, no matter how you do the math. So, in a way, deterrence is a force multiplier uh, in terms of assuring compliance. Absolutely. And taking it away, basically saying... We're going to depend on, if you will, uh, the good actors to act, and we're going to focus all our resources and attention on them after they raise their hands, leaving us with insufficient bandwidth to focus on others, uh, almost inverts the deterrence tool. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's like... um uh, a teacher. So should a teacher just pay attention to the kids raising their hands in the front row uh, and ignore the ones hiding in the back? Um, uh, or or should, um, should we be focusing on the folks who are not stepping forward uh, to do the right thing? The EPA and the states uh, have very, very uh, limited resources. And the more time EPA spends on the companies that uh, demand attention, the less time EPA has to go out and look for the companies that are breaking the rules. It, it certainly is right. Everyone is in agreement that it's a good thing if companies look into their own operations and take steps to fix violations. EPA has always encouraged that. Um, but if any company can demand that EPA pay a lot of attention to them, then the companies are driving EPA's priorities uh, instead of public health. And there's particular reasons in this industry why, and in this program, why this is a very serious problem uh, and something to worry about. One is, it applies to new owners. Uh, and this is an industry where there's new owners all the time. Every well can have many owners uh, over the course of its life. The wells are constantly changing hands. So you have over a million wells and you got a lot of new owners coming and going all the time. Uh, and you couple that with the approach that EPA is proposing here is ridiculously time-intensive for EPA. Uh, EPA chose to set this up so that the amount of effort required from EPA for each agreement is gigantic. Uh, each one is, you know, gets to be individually tailored. Uh, EPA has to review endless numbers of submissions and negotiate them, and everything is individually done. And so each one of these agreements is as much work as a big federal court enforcement action, just a ludicrous amount of, uh, of work. Um, so it's all that effort um, without any of the deterrent effect that that level of effort would normally have. It, it sounds like the agency is is moving from a place in which it was addressing, it was focusing on uh, an industry where there was a significant opportunity to improve public health by finding ways as efficiently and with as 
high leverage as possible to reduce pollution and turning it inside out by replacing the previous policy, that is the Obama-era policy, with a policy that is highly inefficient, is low leverage, doesn't target the richest areas of opportunity to make progress, and essentially it's almost as if by design the agency is draining its own enforcement resources um, so that they operate at a much lower level of efficiency and uh, at, at, as, as a much lower leverage tool. That is absolutely right. So uh, if, you, if you set out to tie EPA up in red tape, uh, this is the document you would write. Uh, and if you multiply that by hundreds or potentially thousands of uh, applications that can come in, you, you can see how EPA is easily overwhelmed uh, and zero time left to do what's supposed to do, which is to go find the companies that don't want to be found. Uh, and insist that they comply and create incentives for all the others to comply, too. Uh, and I agree with you. It's, it's the opposite of what you hope government will do. Um, this policy would, would require government to spend a lot more time for a worse result. You know, it, you're, what you just said raises in my mind uh, almost a sort of editorial cartoon of the agency stepping forward with a, a roll of red tape, offering it, to a high-polluting industry and saying to the industry, please take this red tape and tie our hands with it. <laughs> the, 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 the work we've been doing in the program looking at uh, discrete changes in the way the agency is uh, conducting enforcement and the way in which it's weakening the foundations of enforcement, which is... Um, which involve uh, collecting information, say, through the regional and satellite offices, really sounds like it's of a piece with this policy change. And, you know, I, I, it's tempting to say that this policy change not only is troubling on, on its own terms, but could almost be seen as, as emblematic of the broader approach to, to enforcement and compliance assurance. So I'm wondering if this is a good point to pivot and ask you if there are other uh, highlights, if you will, of changes that the agency has made in terms of enforcement in the last 18 months or so that, that you see as particularly significant. Well, there's been this policy, as you mentioned, fits in and is completely of a piece with the general direction that the agency uh, has been headed and the enforcement office in particular of pulling back on protections and, you know, uh, unilaterally withdrawing um, from, from the field where EPA can be making a big difference. So one another illustration of this that, again, has a little bit of a superficial why it's not obvious on its face why it's a horrible thing, um, but when you dig into it and you understand how the world really works, you see how negative the impact is going to be overall. Another illustration of that uh, that you made reference to is a, a policy that the regions have to get uh, approval in advance uh, from headquarters uh, to send out 
request for information to companies, um, which is a standard tool that the uh, agency has used for decades and decades and is in the, in the statutes uh, that authorize EPA's work, to figure out who's complying and who isn't. Uh, it's a very basic tool that's uh, an essential part of the arsenal of figuring out where the worst problems are and where EPA should be uh, spending its time. Uh, now that the regions have to get headquarters sign-off, um, there's a very clear message sent to the regions. Uh, you should be doing fewer of these um, because it, these kind of institutional uh, constraints uh, communicate very clearly uh, to the career folks uh, that the message is we want you to do less of this. Uh, and we have certainly seen in the enforcement uh, results that are publicly available, we've certainly seen a quite a stunning decline in the amount of enforcement work that the agency is doing. That's, I, you know, we, we, that is to say the environmental and energy law program, had flagged that several months ago as a change that was potentially very consequential in terms of, uh, in effect, limiting the flow of information that the agency had for years counted on having access to uh, by dint of its its own ability to investigate. So, in a in a way, our concerns or our our fears, if you will, are, are being confirmed um, by your report that. In fact, based on your experience, there's a real significant practical impact. There definitely is. Here's another, uh, if I can give you another illustration of a kind of facially neutral type policy that has a dramatic effect uh, on what the agency's able to do. So um, uh, another memo uh, came out from the headquarters folks to the regions saying, essentially, um, we want uh, the states to agree with not only bringing the cases that you bring, but the exact way in which you intend to resolve them. Uh, and if the, any state doesn't agree, um, this has to be appealed all the way up to the assistant administrator. Um, and effectively, what that memo is communicating is any state that doesn't want uh, EPA in there taking a look at the oil and gas industry, just as an example, um, can create a lot of trouble for the region uh, who might be thinking about pursuing an enforcement case or might be saying, look, we got to have a tough enforcement case if we want to make use of this deterrent uh, message. Uh, so the net effect of that is states that are not that interested in uh, enforcement happening within their boundaries um, are emboldened to push back. Uh, and it's obvious from looking at the numbers uh, that that is what's happening. So is essentially what you're saying is, and this is conjecture on my part, but you may be in a position to either confirm it or refute it, that if states are preoccupied, say, with the uh, economic development of the oil and gas sector and less invested, say, in dealing with the pollution impact of the sector on uh, on their citizens, they can in effect, take the part of the company or of the industry in engaging with the EPA rather than being uh, partners, as had been the case in the past, with the EPA in pursuing an enforcement action. Is that, is that a fair uh, assessment or is it an overstatement? 
Um, I, I think it's fair. I, I, you know, states have always varied in the degree to which they um, uh, believe in the power of enforcement as a deterrent uh, for improved behavior. Uh, and one of the essential roles of EPA enforcement as part of the scheme of cooperative federalism uh, that's been uh, set up under the environmental laws, one of EPA's essential functions was to do the very important uh, cases that the states either can't or won't do. Um, some of these cases require a good bit of resource and sophistication that not every state uh, has available. Uh, and sometimes, as you mentioned, the states don't want to go after uh, noncompliance, even serious noncompliance um, that exists in, in some industries within their borders. Uh, and EPA has had an essential function of creating a level playing field around the country of saying, no, the citizens of every state are entitled to the public health protections of the, the laws under which we're all operating. And one of the things that EPA uh, does is to insist that that happens. Um, and, yes, sometimes there's tension with the states. Many times the EPA and states are partners. Sometimes there's tension. Um, but EPA has an important role to play, uh, and it's important that EPA play it if we're going to see the kind of pollution reductions that our statutes uh, uh, laid out as a means of protecting people's health. But it sounds like the agency is significantly readjusting the uh, balance of responsibility between itself and the states so that it's shuffling off uh, what had been its mantle of responsibility in ensuring what you call the level playing field for citizens nationwide in terms of public health um, by rebalancing the, the power or authority or uh, veto options, if you will, as between the EPA itself and states. Is that, is that a fair characterization? I think it is. Uh, so it, it's been, um, it's always the case that there's some tension between the federal and the state level governments about the best way uh, to approach some of these problems. And that there's always been some tension there, and that's a creative tension. That's the cooperative federalism structure that our forefathers created and that is enshrined in the environmental laws under which we operate. And it has for many years served as well um, that states bring to the table local understanding and EPA brings to the table an insistence uh, that the protections of the laws apply to everyone. And that's, uh, we've, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, under that creative tension. Um, but now, um, so many of the actions that are being taken are essentially abandoning the field uh, from the federal level, um, which is uh, not only is that going to lead to less protection for people, uh, but it also makes the job of the states much harder uh, because a lot of these serious polluters dealt with the state because they thought that was going to be easier for them than dealing with EPA. And knowing that EPA was out there in the back and could step in if things didn't go well, uh, helped the state get the cooperation of the companies uh, to meet their obligations under the law. If you pull back on that uh, and you don't have that backdrop of the federal uh, authority, uh, the companies are not going to be as eager to de deal with states as they used to be. So the net effect of this not only is it less protection for, for many communities around the country, 
um, but it's also a tougher job uh, for the states that want to uh, do that job on behalf of their citizens. Cynthia, thank you. This has been a very useful and informative discussion, and I think a lot of people will uh, get a lot out of it when they visit our site and, and listen, to the, listen to the podcast. But where we've left it really doesn't present a very hopeful picture. Have you thought about any strategies going forward where we can try to get enforcement and compliance, particularly with the oil and gas sector, back on some kind of footing that approximates where we were during the Obama era? Well, I, I think that the current administration has no intention of, of going back uh, in, in that direction. But having said that, one of the things I experienced when I was EPA, and when you read the papers, you can see that the folks at EPA are experiencing this uh, themselves, which is the public demands uh, clean air and clean water and expects its government to deliver on that. Um, and one of the when you some of the polls that you see taken not not so much for the midterms but the polls more generally that have been taken over the years um, protecting clean air and clean water is very very high rated uh, very gets you know bipartisan huge amounts of support uh, from the public that expects people to keep their drinking water clean uh, expects them to be able to go outside and play without uh, fear of uh, public health uh, challenges or health issues created by that um, and when there's uh, uh, situations that occur that draw people's attention to the fact uh, that the government is not producing for them um, they make their voices heard uh, and sometimes very loudly uh, and I think that, um, like every administration, um, this one is going to find that when you pull back uh, and you create a problem where people feel that their health and the health of their kids is uh, uh, in jeopardy, uh, they speak up. Uh, and I think it's that the public speaking up and demanding uh, that has more power than anything else uh, to, to drive uh, policy in the right direction. One more question, and then we'll let you go. Uh, that very same public just sent to Washington a Democratic majority in the House of Representatives. A lot of commenters expect that new majority to use its authority to do oversight. Do you see oversight of EPA's enforcement activity as an opportune area for focus? I, I certainly do, um, because... It brings more light into things like the policies that we are talking about today that are not obvious on their face uh, as to why they are uh, undermining public health protection. Uh, it allows Congress to shine more light on that um, and help people understand uh, the implications of it. I would also add, uh, I just saw yesterday that the Inspector General at EPA announced uh, that they're going to do a review of what's happening in EPA's enforcement program uh, and what's going on there and what's happening in the regions and what's, what's happening with the policies. So the IG is also going to be taking uh, a look at that, and that's another pathway uh, for bringing more light to the situation. We'll end this on the note that the public's interest and, uh, if, if you will, animation in this area has uh, some connection to some tools, some recourse, some ability to hold the agency uh, accountable for the dangerous change in direction that, that we've seen in the last two years. Absolutely. 
Anyway, well, thank you very much, Cynthia. Um, okay. Uh, I think. Thanks, Joe. It was fun. Yeah, and and I I think you've really given us a lot of information that we can uh, disseminate to the to the folks in the public and in the policy community um, who are following our investigation of what's going on in terms of how the agency is conducting its its business. It's so great you're doing this. Uh, you're you're the only folks who are bearing down on this question. It's it's wonderful. Well, we couldn't do it without you and uh, people like you, Cynthia. So thank you very much. Yeah.